from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of ordinary people who choose the Baha'i faith as a way of life. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today, I'm playing an interview with Jacob Avazian, a Baha'i of Armenian descent, His parents grew up in Iran and moved to Brazil to help the Baha'i faith there. Jacob was born in Brazil and lived there until he decided to get his postgraduate degree, so he moved to western Massachusetts with his young family in the early 1990s. I started the interview by asking Jacob to describe growing up in Brazil. I was born and I grew up in Brazil. I think that that for me has many answers. it was, I liked it. I still like Brazil very much. I, I go there every once in a while. My family still lives there. At the same time, my parents, uh, they are from Armenian background, and they were born in Iran, and they moved to Brazil. So I was always looking at my parents and looking at my friend's parents, and I was always thinking, my parents look so weird. Uh, how come? And and I, I think when I, when I grew older, I, I understood that my parents they, they came from a different culture, and it was very very different from what people were used to in Brazil. So, but I think it was fun. But I always felt like I, I belonged to more than one place. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, that that would be a good answer. But mm-hmm. it was fun, and I still enjoy very much meeting with people from Brazil and, and going to Brazil every once in a while to visit my family there. And what, is, what was the religion of your parents? That's, uh, that's an interesting question. My father was Baha'i. Okay. He, he became a Baha'i very young in Iran. And my mother was, as most of the Armenians, uh, was an Armenian Orthodox uh, Christian. So, and when they moved to Brazil, she was still, for many years, uh, an Orthodox Armenian Christian. But since she was in Brazil and she didn't have a lot of contact with other Armenians... We end up going to, there was a small Baha'i community in Brazil, so we end up going to this children classes, and was once a week. And I think the answer would be, I, I grew up as a Baha'i in mm-hmm. Brazil, mm-hmm. and eventually my mom also, she became a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. How did your mom and dad meet? Hmm. Well... I think uh, in that part of the world, uh, the way that a lot of people meet is you start looking at your distant cousins. <laughs> uh, so it works uh, two ways. E- either somebody will be a matchmaker or you somehow work out and make your own match. So in their case, I think there was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. They They are like first degree uh, cousins or something like that Mm -hmm. and eventually they met and they were interested in each other and um, this is we're talking about Iran in the 
30s. Okay. So there was a lot of prejudice because um, Baha'is, they're a minority in Iran, and then there's still a lot of oppression um, for the Baha'is who live there. So my father, he grew up, he is the, was the only child, so he grew up in this family, and they, they became Baha'is when their parents were in their 20s, and he was a four or five-year-old kid, so he was growing up with this religion which was like oppressed and a minority in Iran. And my mother grew up in this uh, Armenian Orthodox Christian family, so obviously they had a lot of prejudice against the Muslims, which was the majority in that country, and also against the Baha'is because they just thought that Baha'is were a sect of Islam. I see. As a matter of fact, my mom never changed that idea until she moved to Brazil. Uh-huh. So until then, she was still thinking that ah, my husband, it's okay, he's some type of Muslim. And um, But it wasn't a showstopper in them getting married. <sighs> Something interesting happened. It's interesting you ask. Um, when they were about to, like they were engaged and everything, there were some threats, uh, unknown uh, who made the threats. But at some point, they, they got a written uh, threat saying that if they were to go ahead with that wedding, that somebody was going to to uh, throw acid mm. at, at both of them during their wedding day. Mm. They just went ahead, and as far as I know, <laughs> nothing happened, and uh, and they married. So, mm. but it was it wasn't something easy. It mm. wasn't uh, it wasn't people didn't tolerate those type of things very well. So, and her own family kind of disowned her for many 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 years. Uh-huh. Uh, so. It, we were like I was like ten years old when when my grand my maternal grandmother started like having a relationship with my mother again, and at some point she even ended up visiting us in Brazil, which I remember very fondly mm. of her staying. She stayed there for a few months, and uh, mm. it was nice. Yeah. But that was also and and that only because at some point my mom. She met other Baha'is in Brazil from Indonesia, from the United States, and then she realized, oh, so this is not a Muslim-only thing. Apparently, this is a little bit more universal, and then she decided it was okay for her to like, open her mind, and eventually she ended up also becoming a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. Now, what were the circumstances that had your mom and dad move to Brazil in the first place? Well, one is that there, there isn't clergy. The Baha'i faith has no no not a paid clergy so Baha'is they move to different places and this is something voluntary nobody forced a Baha'i to move and my father at that point he had this plan to move he told my mom you know if you marry me I'm moving I'm not staying in Iran I want to go somewhere else and she said fine by me (laughs) Uh, and it's it's ironic because her his first idea was to come to the U.S. and it was taken and this is in the in the mid-30s, so it wasn't so hard uh, to move to this country at that point. But he he was uh, doing the paperwork, everything, and then he considered also Germany. And at some point he met somebody, he said, you know what, why don't you go to Brazil? It's a very nice place. And and he, he started thinking, and said, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. I heard something about Brazil, and uh, well, it turned out that 40 days later he was in Brazil <laughs> with my mom and mm-hmm. my second brother who was six months old. My older brother ended up staying in Iran for a year and a half, almost two years, mm-hmm. with my paternal grandparents. And he came later 
to to join the family. Were you born yet when you when you moved to when they moved to Brazil? I was born. I was born in Brazil. You My sister and I were born in Brazil. My two older brothers were born in Iran. Okay. Yeah. My okay. second brother, he he had a six six months like very small window, but he ended up being born in Iran, mm. and uh, and then they moved to Brazil, and I yeah. was born there, and yeah. so was my sister. Mm. What was growing up in Brazil like? Um, I think, again, I, 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 the, the first thing that comes to me is that it was a an, in, an interesting experience. Mm. We had a lot of contact with like foreigners, because at that point, there were many other Baha'is from other places in the world going to many different places, including Brazil. So even though Brazilians in general, they are very welcoming to foreigners from all over the world, they, they really embrace them and they are welcome. And as a matter of fact, I, I was talking to a friend here the other day, so many African Brazilians in Brazil. I said, well, you know, in Brazil, we just say Brazilians if you're born there. Mm-hmm. So and Brazilians have this thing. If you're born there, you're Brazilian, period. It doesn't matter What's, mm. What your background is, really, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to say that Brazilians are 100% immune to prejudice, but nevertheless, they are very welcoming. But when I was growing up, I, I, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of Baha'is who were coming from different parts of, of, of the world, traveling and passing through Brazil. And uh, I grew up in a house where, like, it was very common people would come and stay a week months and sometimes stay half a year and sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and be this person there and say oh hi, how are you and and a person will just stay and 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 it was interesting I think mm. uh, it was a very important experience for me because I was I was I was feeling that I was having the opportunity to enlarge my horizons much more than I if I was just growing up in like having the common experiences of I don't know, for many of my friends, my Brazilian right. friends and, and, and people that I met at school when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was very, very significant and, and had an impact in my life. And growing up there, I think it, it was, it, it's because there's nothing to compare to. Right. I, think, I think it was wonderful. Right, it, yeah. right. it was home. Uh, yeah, it was home. I grew up like, at that point, there wasn't a lot of problems, even though I was in a very large city, Sao Paulo which is the largest city in Brazil, and at that point had 9 million people. I'm talking about 1970, mm. and now it has like 15 or 16 million people. But I felt very comfortable there, and, mm. and, and it, as you said, it was home. I, yeah. I, I miss it. I, I, yeah. You've been away from home for some time now. Yes, yes. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we arrived here in '94 for graduate studies. And so I finished my graduate studies, and she started a, a, a program at UMass, and she's still a doctoral candidate. In the meantime, we, had, uh, we have two children now. Uh, they were born here, hmm. and she's still a doctoral candidate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so we have this joke that she already has two dissertations <laughs> ready, so she does, <laughs> has to finish with her formal dissertation for UMass, and then she would be done. But uh, Yeah. 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 So, what were your interests growing up? My interests? Yeah. Hmm. Do you have any interests growing up? Yeah. 
I was always I always read very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks to to my father especially, he would buy books. I mean, I I remember my mother complaining that he'll show up with boxes and boxes of books. He would go to auctions and buy books. He liked history very much. So we had more books than we had space at home, and so we would have books underneath the beds and and <laughs> in many funny places. <laughs> so I always loved to read. Yeah. And then I started developing also a liking for writing. So I like writing, too. Mm -hmm. Those are two things that I still enjoy very much. When I was growing up, I liked to play soccer. I think that, that that's actually something you learn to love in Brazil, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah and in the imagine. afternoons after school, the kids were all, like, running in the street. I mean, you if we didn't have a soccer ball, we would just make up a... a coconut or something <laughs> that something you could kick and your your toes won't hurt right and we'll start playing soccer so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah we did a lot of that kid stuff so right. yeah and and as i think that 30 40 years ago sao paulo was also a safer city so ki kids will just grow up in the street and mm. playing and, and and i was living in a neighborhood that was it was okay it was safe so you're writing what kind of what Writing did you do when you were in, like, high school? I was, oh, gosh. When I was in high school, I was doing more, like, I was doing more, like, assignments. But I was also starting to, to, to like, keep a diary and start attempting to write. But mm. I was, I, I always had this block. I said, ah, what do I know? I mean, I'm not a writer. I mean, I shouldn't even attempt because I was I was reading classic and those type of things and saying I would never write as well as these people do. But more recently, and I'm talking about a few years ago, yeah. I realized that especially after I, I, I had my, my daughter, which was about now seven, eight years ago, that it's okay, perhaps I can use the voice that, that you use with your child and and I started exploring more and more that, and and I felt something within that made sense for me. So I would say that all that liking that I had for writing that was like kind of foggy. I didn't know what to do with that, and I never believed anything was going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I am channeling that in these last few years, and I, I haven't published anything yet. But <laughs> right. uh, I am channeling to writing stories for children. Mm. Which which I, I, I find it delightful. I, I yes. really love it. And and I and I'm planning that more and more uh start like carving time to do that as the kids I, I have a do a son too, he's three, my daughter is seven. And as they they grow up and uh uh I can also have more time right right now is still in a very intense period of of child rearing yeah of, of parenting right yeah, sometimes I say so jacob are you are you uh, babysitting i said no they're my, my children i'm parenting so i don't babysit my children right so what did you do after high school after high school i i wasn't sure what i wanted to do i i always have again i i had this attraction for for the arts I felt very divided, and I think that I, I, I think I realized later that part of that is because I, I didn't have very clear what I really wanted to do. So I was divided between my parents. Uh, uh, they were like um, 
merchants. They they were selling, obviously, good Armenian family. They were selling Persian rugs in Brazil, like handmade rugs. And, of course, they have this contact with Iran, Persia, which is actually Iran. So they were getting rugs from there and selling in Sao Paulo, which was a large city, like that would, one of the few cities at that point that you would have a market for that type of thing. So I, I always had this thing for like business. But I also had this thing for attraction mm-hmm. for art. Mm-hmm. And when I was trying to decide what to do in college, my first option was to do something related to, to art. But then I... I must say I wasn't very encouraged. My father was kind of disappointed, and, and he was the type of person who would make sure that his disappointment was transmitted, and he did transmit that disappointment. And I think that somehow had an impact on me. I didn't want to disappoint him very badly. Uh, so I start obviously, I went to college, and then started the business administration in college. And the funny thing about Brazil, and something that I like very much about the system here in the U.S., is that when you go to college, you don't have to know what you want to do for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. You know, you can you you have the chance of choosing a major and a minor, and you can explore a lot, and so you have more time to decide. But Brazil is more like the European system. Like when you are 16, 17, you have to figure out this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Then you go to to a college, like uh, if you want to be a mathematician, you go to that department. If you want to be a something else, an engineer, and so. And and I I grew up seeing a lot of my friends they going like two three years for an engineering school, and then deciding that I absolutely hated it. They wanted to do something else, so they will have to start all over again. So I can say that I absolutely hated the business part. I think that. I have like a good sense for that, but I also I, I was doing that, and at some point I took up on the, a second uh, program in psychology, which I did for two years. But at some point I decided this is too much, and so I just finished my uh, uh, my college. I graduated as a business administration administrator. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I was working doing that for many years. Yeah, doing what? Well, I worked in different type of like organizations I worked for a school for mm-hmm. three years which was a very interesting experience it was an international school I worked for a state bank in Brazil uh, Banco do Estado de Santa Catarina I worked for some other federal government in Brazil also um, organization and finally the last job I had in Brazil before I decided I, I really wanted to go to graduate school was for a Japanese company I was like their IT manager and then after a couple of years there, I decided I really, really feel I would like to go to graduate school. Mm. And my wife was born here, but she grew up in Brazil. And so she said, hey, you know what? I never, I never lived in the U.S. as an adult. What if we go there and you, you can go and, 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 you know, and get your graduate studies there and I can work? And I, at that point, we didn't have children. So, yeah, good idea. So, and that's what ended up happening in 94, and the rest is history. <laughs> so, we have yeah. been here since, and right. uh, yeah. Okay, before we move to the United States, you said that working at the school was interesting. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, this was in the capital city in Brazil. 
Brasilia, which is, I, I, th I think a lot of people heard about Brasilia. This is a planned city. The architect who planned this city in the uh, 50s, his name is Oscar Niemeyer. The president in Brazil at that point in the 1950-something was Juscelino Kubitschek. And he had this concern that Bra continental Brazil is very, very large, and, and it's al almost... Actually, there's only continental Brazil. What I was going to say is that continental Brazil is as large, if not larger, than continental U.S. Mm. And there wasn't a lot of colonization in the in the central Brazil. It was more in, uh, in the coast, which is kind of what happened to most of the countries. They colonized the coast first, and, and they stay there because the weather is nice and everything else. So uh, that president had a concern that the central Brazil wasn't getting colonized, everything else. So... He came up with this plan. So let's move the capital from Rio de Janeiro to this new capital, Brasilia, which they did. So mm. in the 50s, they started building this capital. So all the embassies and a lot of federal government business moved to this new capital. At some point in 1980, there was a group of Baha'is there, mostly from the U.S., but there was uh, from Italy and some other places they decided to start a, a, an international school there. Their idea was to offer a bilingual curriculum, and the name of the school, is uh, the school still exists, is School of the Nations. Oh, yeah, I so, interviewed Jim Sacco. Oh, yeah. He was the founder, wasn't he? He was one of the founders. Mm -hmm. He, his wife, and there, there were another, about a dozen people. As a matter of fact, I worked with him between 88 and 91. I was there for about three years. And I was there... Right after I got married to, to my wife, Andrea, we moved to Brasilia, and I was working there in the, in the in administration. And what was interesting was that there were kids from over 50 countries, uh, and uh, the children of the people who was working in different consulates and, and, uh, and embassies and everything else. And it was a very interesting experience because we were having many cultural misunderstandings going on there, and... And, of course, even the person working in administration was called to, like, try to solve part of those problems. And I, I think it was a very enriching experience. First, because I love working with children. And second, because uh, because of the environment and dealing with all the parents. And last but not the least, it was important because it also improved my fluency in English. With At, at that point, it wasn't so good. I still, still, I can use some improvement now. <laughs> So you came to the United States to do graduate work. In what area? That's an interesting thing. Uh, I came here primarily because I was very interested in IT. So I was in a city called Curitiba, where the Japanese company was in 90, between 92 and 94. And uh, at that point, in Brazil and many uh, in Latin America, many other third world countries, this whole technology thing was just starting. And the United States obviously was like ahead of everybody else. And funny enough, I was working for a Japanese company. At that point, most of the large organizations in Japan hadn't realized the importance of IT. They were kind of lagging behind. And they were, as a matter of fact, lagging so badly that all the gain that they had in productivity and all those techniques and uh, this is my, my my management and business portion and that's kicking in. But the truth is that they really didn't give a lot of attention. And they, we had some managers from Japan who were there on site telling engineer, Brazilian engineers 
why why are you bumming around spending so much time in front of that screen go and do some honest work mm. and the screen was his his uh, computer aided design yeah. that they were they were working on right. so and 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 it was fascinating working for that company because they were not very fond of of technology at that point in brazil and i was interested in the technology itself and i was also interested and had these questions how is this going to impact how are poor countries going to take advantage of this so having all these good intentions in mind i said okay so i want to go to graduate school and learn more about it and learn more about this uh, um this this gap between the haves and not haves of, of technology, and and that was the primary reason why I decided to go to come to this country and mm-hmm. and, and and go to a graduate school. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in that. So, you completed graduate school, and then what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> then I ended up working for four years for an insurance company <laughs> that offered me a very cozy and nice position, and so I totally forgot about my very nice intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, not true, but somewhat true. It wasn't very clear because when we came here, first our idea was to stay here for two, three years and go back to Brazil, and uh, and 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 then I was going to 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 follow up in my my idea, which was work with communities, and I was looking at different organizations. As a matter of fact, I ended up going to to Toronto in Canada. There was a, a conference sponsored by the um, World Bank, and they had like hundreds of different organizations that were working all over the world trying to develop different strategies to how to apply technology in like villages in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and w- and we're trying to explore the possibilities of using that technology to to help people. And I was still in that mode, and and it was very fascinating. So I was preparing to go back, and I made a lot of contacts. I came back. I worked as a volunteer because I couldn't afford the 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 conference was like a thousand dollars. It was mm-hmm. an absurd for me. I was a graduate student, poor, no money. I'm still poor, but <laughs> I was even more poor then. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I offered myself as a volunteer, and I realized there were another 30 uh, other students who were from different parts of, especially North America, who went there as volunteers to work with, with the organization and everything else. So I ended up going, and I made contacts, and I came back with like a big pile of business cards from different people working at the United Nations here and there. So I was going to follow up. But... At some point, there was a change of plans because we realized as a family at that point we didn't have children that it was important for my wife to stay here and, and, and she finished her master's here in the meantime. And, and then she really got engaged in this uh, doctoral program, which is also at UMass and, as I mentioned, and it's at the Center for International Education. And, so, and she was totally involved with that and still is. So at that point, at some point, we made the decision. So we are staying, and I don't know. There, there was a switch, and and I decided that to, perhaps it's not the time right now to be working with this. But I felt mm-hmm. that for a second time in my life, the first was when I decided perhaps go to business school, and the second time now was this thing that perhaps I'll just get a regular work and just be like you know put this in the back burner, this working with community and everything else. And and that's what I did. So I, I got a, a regular job, which had benefits, this and that. And I was I was able to stay there for like four years. 
And at some point I realized that, you know, it's it's not that this work is good or bad or, or there is any problem with insurance. Actually, I think that insurance in a certain way has a, a social purpose that is very important. But it wasn't my cup of tea. So uh, I, I ended up leaving that company mm-hmm. and and that was it. Mm-hmm. So that that was my experience after I finished my, my, my graduate studies here. Now, was graduate school an afterthought for your wife when you came to the United States? Oh, she wasn't even going to go to graduate school. She was going to work. So, so what was the trigger? I think was was like bumping into this program, mm. which was something that she realized she always wanted to do because... She has she has a background in 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 public health, and uh, she also has a degree in biology, and she was always trying to combine this two, but she never wanted to be a physician. And when she found this program, she saw that there are other ways that people can have an impact on communities, that is not only being a physician or or being a nurse or something like that. You can also uh, uh, um, you can help a community. You can be a facilitator for processes that can develop communities without necessarily making an intervention as a, as a, as a health worker or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, and she realized that, wow, this is what I want. And at that point, uh, I have to be very honest. I, I was liking the experience of being here and having the opportunity to work here too. So I said, well, let's go for it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, Nothing to go back running to in Brazil at this point in time. So, mm-hmm. so we just end up making the decision. It wasn't a very hard decision to stay, and we mm-hmm. end up staying. What did you do after you worked at the insurance company? Well, I left the insurance company, and then uh, I was I was kind of lost for for almost a year. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and at that point, we already had uh, our daughter. She was not even one year old. No, she was one year old. We dis- uh, we decided okay so I got to do something else and uh, we also decided that we wanted to stay with her and try to homeschool her as long as we could before sending her to a, a school and the only way f- to do that and also have my wife finishing her 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 program was for me to work in a flexible schedule so that's when I started my. I lost the account the third or fourth <laughs> career. And I was doing translations in Brazil for many, many years. I was translating uh, from English into Portuguese, mostly, more than from Portuguese into English, because obviously my, my native language of Portuguese was much stronger than my English at a point. Mm-hmm. Still is, I should say. But uh, anyhow, and I did a little bit of that while I was a graduate student. But when I left in the, the, this, uh, my, this regular job at the insurance company, I, I started like, trying to find clients and pursuing that more. And first I ended up working with a company in, in, in Amherst. They do a very interesting job, which had nothing to do with translation, but they basically audit companies that like, are, are outsourced by brand companies here, like outsource stuff okay. for... Uh, Maui and other pl- not Maui Maui is in Hawaii but Malawi Malawi or or Samoa or other places in the world so what they were doing m- many times this 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 people who are 
they outsource to the managers of these factories. That is, they work like a, a, a sweatshop many, many times. So, and and the media end up bad mouthing them here in the U.S. And they then they have like consumers here going against these companies or not buying their stuff or bad mouthing them even more badly. So this organization was offering to say, hey, you know what, if you're, if you're outsourcing, why don't you have us going there and auditing? Like, and they had this point, they audit, like, uh, are these people, like, underage? Are they being paid when they work? And, and what are the uh, living conditions and working conditions and this, this, and that? To, to try to assure to a certain extent that they, you're not outsourcing to, to sweatshops out of the United States, which at some point will come back and haunt you, like, in the near future. Mm-hmm. And so, and these reports were coming here, and I was working like on those reports, trying to, uh, um, based on the material that of the research that the auditors made within different countries, mm-hmm. including China and other places. Mm-hmm. But after 10 months, I saw that well, this is not working, <laughs> not enough money to pay the bills. So then I started looking more seriously into translating and, and, and at that point, also interpreting. So, it took me about a year until I started like finding more and more clients. And after that, I realized that okay, it's possible at least for this phase to be doing this. So, mm-hmm. in my most recent uh, uh, professional life, what I'm doing is I'm interpreting, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm translating, so I can have time to be with the kids. So mm-hmm. my wife can finish her dissertation. Yeah. And yeah. What venue are you interpreting in? I do a lot of legal stuff. Okay. There are a lot of uh, Brazilian immigrants yeah. here in Massachusetts in particular. Really? A lot of, yeah. For some reason. Uh, huh. apparently what a quinky dink. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's nothing new. I mean, the, there was always a large uh, uh, Brazilian presence in Boston, in the mm-hmm. Boston area. Mm-hmm. But in the last few years, uh, apparently it spread all over the state. And I think it's that thing. Somebody comes and say, "Oh, send cousin," and then cousin wants to get married. Oh, send you know whatever. So and then just the population explodes. Mm-hmm. Actually, I mm-hmm. think that's the history of most of the different uh, immigrations to the U.S. Mm-hmm. The people that come from different mm-hmm. countries. The small groups start. Like mm-hmm. I was once in Minneapolis, and uh, I went to a Vietnamese restaurant. That was like eight years ago. I said, "Wow." Interesting. There's a Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, it's, oh, there are hundreds of Vietnamese here in this area. So, oh, really? So, I think that mm-hmm. that's how things happen. So, mm-hmm. fortunately for me, at this point, there's a yeah. population here that needs, uh, you Tra- know, that this type of service. Yeah. yeah, translation. Can you tell me what it's like interpreting in uh, the legal system here? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Will you? Uh, uh, yeah, I have been doing doing it for five years. I think it's an interesting experience. I, mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't sure how I was going to feel in relation to that, but I think it's 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 interesting. It's first because uh, I really enjoy like uh, you have different types of issues that you're interpreting for every time you go. You never know what you're gonna end up with sometimes it's a, like a person driving without a license and the person cannot have a license because doesn't have a social security number and on and on sometimes it's some other issue and sometimes it's probate issues this and that um, I think that it's 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 nice because there is a component I feel that at the end of the day when I when I when I'm done somebody was helped through my work and this is one part of it 
And the second part is that I also like the flexibility because it allows me to do other things. And I, and I think that that's how work should be. Mm. I think that people are very multidimensional. And certain types of places where I worked, I think that people were so focused on doing something and working 40, 50, 55 hours a week doing that thing and not having much of uh, other things in their lives. And I think that that, that end, end up depleting uh, a person mm. uh, uh, because you don't have a chance to like spend time with friends or have a meaningful like contact with people you love and, mm. um, and, and find out what you really like to do other than just work, work, work. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any interesting stories to tell about interpreting in the court system? Oh boy, I don't know if that's legal. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. A, I'm not an attorney, mind you. But I think that, that what, what the most. I, I think funny things that happen is like an interpreter, uh, a legal interpreter. You're supposed to interpret. You're not supposed to explain. In other words, if there's a the judge is saying something to the person, you are not supposed to clarify nothing. You're supposed to listen to what the judge is saying, tell the person, and then you listen to what the person is saying and you tell back to the judge. So one of the most common things is like the judge asks the person, so, you know, you have the constitutional right to have an attorney and uh, or you can represent yourself. What would you like to do? And then I, I tell that to the person in Portuguese and the person turns to me, the interpreter, and said, what do you think I should do? And then I turn to the judge. What do you think I should do? <laughs> And the judge <laughs> turns back to the person and says, that's exactly what I asked you, and that's your decision. So I turn to the person, that's what I asked you, it's your decision. And like in a split second, the person realizes, uh-oh, whatever I say here, this, this guy he will tell the judge, so I better like make my mind up what, uh, what I want to do. Yeah. And, and that's what would usually happen. We don't mm -hmm. have time to explain how it works. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you just arrive there and, and you just jump in and you don't have time to explain, hey, you know, whatever you say, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to, like, convey that to, to, the, to the party that, mm -hmm. that you're addressing. So, mm -hmm. And that, that might be dangerous <laughs> for the person. <laughs> so, but, mm -hmm. yeah, so mm -hmm. the, those are, there were some instances where and the other thing that is very common is where the interpreter is like uh, supposed to be an invisible person just a, a, a means to communicate or, or a means of communication between two people mm -hmm. and sometimes like the, this person is oh tell him or tell her da 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 I said, please can you just, just address the person directly and it's, 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 it's like kind of sometimes it's a little bit uh, you know Awkward, but right. yeah. yeah. So, Jacob, here you are, father of two children, interested in writing children's stories. You have an IT background with your graduate work. What do you see the future being as the kids get older and you're heading back to Brazil or whatever? Hmm. Well, that's... Um that's that's the that's the the question we we kind of can't figure yet. Uh, I think that my wife Andrea she she grew up here uh, she was born here she grew up in Brazil was born there I have spent a few years here. I think that we we would like at some point our our children to have the experience of living at least in one more country if possible more 
And um, I, I don't want to just sound like, you know, this this crazy idea, what would you drag your children somewhere? But I think it's, I think it it does do something if you had the, if you have the experience of like living in a place, eating with people in, in in more than one country, and like sharing their dreams and their sad sadness and and like their joys, and and I think you feel more connected, you 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 feel more connected to life in more than one place, and I think that that's a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I must confess that also makes you feel a little bit like you start looking where where are my roots here do i have roots somewhere <laughs> yeah sometimes I, I i ask myself that question are we staying here for how many more years are we going back to brazil you know or are we going somewhere else and and i honestly i don't know the answer mm. for that i'm thinking very hard and my wife is the beer we have been talking but we don't have a conclusion but yeah. that's we just have the general idea that we would like to have the experience of living somewhere else mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that she'll be, my wife will be like, when she graduates, in, engaged in some type of work that is fulfilling for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we also have to think about the kids being a place where they can have some type of uh, um, education. Mm-hmm. And I guess that my dream is to have more time to 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 be more immersed into writing and exploring that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I guess I mentioned two times when I wish I had chosen different paths professionally, and I think that this is one that I I'm I have no intention to let it go. I <laughs> I want to explore this thing and go as far as I can with the writing thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was making fun of myself because I'm not writing in Portuguese; I'm writing in English, mm-hmm. and this is very bold of me because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, perhaps I should have considered writing in Portuguese, but since I'm here, the uh, things come in English to me. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And uh, and actually, the other thing I was thinking, I really don't care if I'll ever be published or not. I just want to explore this thing because mm. it makes me feel good. I find it very fulfilling. Yeah. I like to think about children. I like to think to think about things that make children like you know click. Mm-hmm. And 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 I like to put that into stories. So I yeah. I just like that, and yeah. that make that I makes makes me feel like um, fulfilled. So yeah. it's something yeah. that I, no matter where we we end up, I I want to explore. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's nice. Now, do you miss Brazil? I do miss Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I do miss Brazil yeah. a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, but I I go there every once in a while. Oh, I have a, a, a chance to go there. So that's true. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, not like a, you've been cut off from Brazil for the last no, thirteen years. No, no. I my 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 whole family is there. Yeah. Most of my whole my family is there. Yeah. I have a mother, I have a sister, brothers, so yeah. nephews, nieces. They're all there. Right. My wife's family is all here, but they're all there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the best of luck to you, Jacob. Oh, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jacob Avazian a Baha'i who grew up in Brazil and is currently living in western Massachusetts. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. 
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.